Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or simply doing a private one-on-one online video consultation, do get in touch. I've been helping artists from around the U.S. for over 18 years now and would love to help you as well. Just write to me via the email address podcast at nhte.net. If you're a fan, thanks so much for listening and make sure that you are signed up for the weekly email newsletter. You can gain access to that by putting your email address in the sign-up box on the show website nhte.net. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Payne, Alabama, my guest is a country music Hall of Fame drummer who performed with the legendary group Alabama for nearly three decades. He was part of the ceremony when Alabama received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he continues to play, produce, and record. He is the author of a book titled The High Road, Memories from a Long Trip, which is described as an intimate collection of personal memoirs spotlighting the highlights and lowlights of his life, journey, and music career. You've been hearing one of Alabama's many hits, Mountain Music. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Mark Herndon. Thank you, Bruce. Great to be here. Absolutely, Mark. And, you know, I always open the show every week by having the guest talk about the song that was playing during the intro. But in this case, Mark, talk specifically about playing that song, Mountain Music. I mean, that tempo, wow, that song had to be a workout to perform. Was that one that you would look forward to playing? Or by chance, was it, oh boy, here we go, Mountain Music? I I always look forward to playing that one. It's fun, uh, sing along, and... You know, people in in the concert halls, I could see them out there just enjoying it. Uh, It's kind of a feel-good song, so I always look forward to that. As a drummer, we usually kind of look forward to the the up-tempo ones that get people moving, and that one certainly did. Um, The playing, the recording of it was, uh, was fun, too. When you're behind the kit during a live concert, and it is a song that's as fast-paced as mountain music is, is there time to look out at the audience and see them enjoying the song the way that you're describing? Well, in, in let's take your average basketball arena where they have concerts. And when the, the stage lights are up, the band is performing, you can usually see about the first 10 rows uh, if it's seating arrangement, if it's general admission, you can see back about 30, 40 feet uh, when the people are pressed up against the, the barricades and the stage. The rest of it is a sea of blackness <laughs> other than the exit signs all around the arena. You can see those up on the upper level. And if we're having a really good night, back in the old days, people used to hold up lighters yeah uh everywhere and that way you knew that the the auditorium was full of people now they hold up their cell phones <laughs> um so so it's it's lit up pretty cool anyway and um i always i love that's what i worked for and when when the lighters came out i knew i was doing my job mm, wow 
Wow. Yeah, I totally see that figuratively and literally. And folks, I'm certainly thrilled to have a Country Music Hall of Famer on the show. And I'm equally excited to be aligned with Centrance, the company that you hear me talk about each week that makes the unit that sits at the center of my recording rig. Centrance, it's like the word entrance with a C at the beginning, makes a device just like this one that I use for podcasting, except for musicians. That one is called the Mixer Face. And if you are an indie artist, you absolutely need to be putting a priority on the quality of the recordings you're putting out. That's why something like this audio interface is so vital because it has preamps that give you studio quality sound. And since the world has, for all intents and purposes, opened back up and performers are out on the road doing shows, you can benefit further from the Mixer Face by taking it with you wherever you go to record into it since it doubles as a portable handheld recorder and or to use it for live streaming a performance you might be doing at a venue or even from your hotel room or some other place where you want to give fans a live online look in here is how you can learn more about this great unit and get a special offer that they're making available to my audience on my show website nhte.net use the mixer face ad which is in the right-hand column on desktop or scroll way down on mobile to find it, and tap or click to go over to their website. They will not only give free U.S. shipping, but at checkout, when you put in the code BRUCE, you will get a free watertight accessory case to carry it in. Mark, shame on me. I asked you the question about performing a song like Mountain Music because I was thinking of the stamina that a drummer needs on a real up-tempo song, but I don't know out of all the drummers I've had on the show over the years if I've ever really asked about any kind of workouts they might do, some kind of fitness routine to keep up with the physical demands of playing a couple-hour show every night on world tours. Was that ever something you did regularly? And for that matter, is it something you recommend to young drummers who are just starting out, whether that's a gym membership or simply something they do from home? Uh, that would be yes, yes, and yes. Wow. Um, I Back in the day when we were playing over 300 dates a year, hmm. I, had, I had to be in good shape. Uh, and it, it, the show grew in length eventually. We went from opening act to co-headliner to headliner and you know finally in the later years we, we closed off with the american farewell tour that was a three and a half sh hour show every night wow. and even though it was kind of the waning years of touring for the band i was in the best shape i ever was because during the day i kept a 12-speed road bike on the bus and uh, i'd go get it in the morning and and go out exploring in these towns that we would go to uh, all year long. Uh, I rode thousands of miles all over uh, Canada and, and, and North America and, and the U.S. Hmm. Uh, virtually every city, every county, I could get out and, and look around. I, I loved it. And uh, I even rode um, in a couple of instances when we were close by less than a hundred miles to the next show or so I'd, I'd ride the bike wow and um this yeah it was fun uh great way to unwind great way to take your mind off of what you're doing for a few hours which is very important when you're touring uh just to kind of have some decompression time be by yourself uh because on a tour you are very much in everybody else's space and they're in yours and 
Uh, you have to find ways to get along. Mm. It's mandatory. Uh, and that's, yeah, that means giving as much as uh, getting. You have to, it's very much like a marriage. You have to work. And, um, you know, you're out on the road with 50 or 60 people on the crew. Or even if you're playing in a, uh, a band that's doing just clubs and stuff, you still have a band and probably one or two people helping you in a van. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit of skill to get along after a while. You have to learn. In my case, I just have to learn how to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and that, that, took, that, that took about 20 years. <laughs> but, but, it, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I had an uh, exercise. Right? We, we, um, we, we rode bikes. There was a couple guys on the crew that would ride with me when they had time. Okay. And... Uh, you know, if the weather's bad or something, we couldn't ride bikes. We'd uh, we'd always hit the gym. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying that if someone out there is listening and is a drummer and says, "No, no, no, me playing the drums during my live show, that is my workout. I don't need to do more above that." It sounds like you're saying you're totally wrong, and you absolutely do need to do more above and beyond just the performance. Yeah, in my opinion, yes. I, I, that's not saying I'm the one that's right, but. Um, I would, I would be inclined to think that most drummers would agree with me when you're, when you, when you're not following your discipline at the gym or whatever it is you, you do, your playing will suffer a little bit. Mm. Um, I found that to be the case The the best playing I ever did was when I would ride right up till showtime and come in the back door, put the bike up, you know, towel off a little bit, change a shirt or, you know, into my jeans or something and jump right on the stage and play the show. Wow. The, the adrenaline, yeah, it was, there was no spool up time for the, the body to catch up with the adrenaline. It was mm. already there. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, let's go way back. As easy as it is to talk about all your years with Alabama, and folks, don't worry. Mark and I will do more of that as our conversation goes along. But, Mark, share with us about your early experience with music. Oh, my goodness. Where? How far back would you like me to go? <laughs> well, was this a case of, you know, mom and dad were musicians and that's how I got into it, or did you just find music on your own and say, this is something I want to pursue? That's a two-part answer. The first part is yes. Um, my mother was a musician. My grandmother was a an accomplished musician. She played for the New York Philharmonic for many, many years as a pianist. Wow. And uh, her daughter, my mother, uh, took it up and, and became quite good herself. The two of them would spend hours in the house playing on a baby grand they had in the, in the den in there. So naturally... Little Mark was going to learn how to play piano. Mm. Little Mark, little Mark did not want to do piano <laughs> because in those days, and this is no offense to keyboard players, um, you know the kind of kids I ran around with. They thought uh, piano lessons was for sissies, and you know that would that would usually cause a little dust up uh, between me and them and. I didn't like that a whole lot, but nonetheless, uh, I gave it a good try. I tell a funny story in my book about that, about my instructor. They got me lessons with a, with a guy in a town about 30 miles away. He was terrifying. I mean, terrifying. 
Uh, he was from Russia. Any any connotation you can uh, gin up about Ivan the Terrible? <laughs> that was my um, that was my piano instructor, <laughs> and uh, I, I was terrified of the guy. The, the story. It, well, you'll have to, if you read the book, you can get the whole story. Okay. But uh, uh, it, anyway, to make a to make a long story endless, I, I didn't stick with piano, and I dropped music for a long time until I was uh, in my teens. Wow. Um, and I found out I was I wasn't very um, talented in the athletic department, and the only way to get girls to look at you was either you were you know on the football team or you were a musician in a band <laughs> so i took the latter option and i had a good friend that was a drummer in high school and you know they were always the, the girls were always leaning against the stage and always you know fawning over them and breaks and things like that so i thought hey that's kind of cool and um you know i don't have to break my arms and legs uh, on the football field mm. i was so little uh, they used me for the ball rather than gave me a position <laughs> on the team. I didn't like that. So I took up, like my friend inspired me to take up some drums, and I found out that I could kind of play a little groove right off the bat, and it came natural. Wow. And I got real excited about it. Wow. Yeah, I started getting excited about it and started getting into it. I went to a couple of concerts, and oh, man, did I have the bug. Mm. And uh, at that, from that point on, all I, all I ate, breathed slept and dreamed about was drums and getting in a band and you know making it to the big time you know, like everybody goes through and you know i followed the progression there and lo and behold uh i was one of the lucky ones mm. wow wow well i know that we're going to be making a huge jump here because there's there's probably something important that i'm going to leave out that feel free to to pull it back in but i want to fast forward ahead to there have been some really terrific guests on this show who have or had very high-profile opportunities. Heck, as recently as two weeks ago, the guest was Bill Champlin, who performed for 28 years with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band Chicago. And many times I like to ask guests like that how they got the opportunity in the first place. Mark, in your case, talk about joining Alabama. Well, it's kind of a, an anecdotal story in itself. I, 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 you're a busy man. I don't want to take up your whole day, but uh, I'll give you the bridge version of it. Alabama, it, when, when I got to know these guys who were an obscure uh, bar band, my mother worked at a Thunderbird Motor Lodge in Florence, South Carolina, as a front desk receptionist. I was playing in a couple of other bands, local bands at the time. I was about 21, maybe mm -hmm. 22. Mm -hmm. And, oh, yeah, man, I was the next rock star. And, uh, you know, I just uh, I thought I was a big shot. And I was playing, like I said, I was playing a couple of local bands. and But none of them were really going anywhere. My mother called me one day and she said, hey, uh, there's a band in the lounge here. They're, they're called the Alabama Band. She said they sound kind of different. They're they're more on the countryside of things. Uh, you might want to give them a, a, a listen. And I said, why? I don't want to play no country music. Hmm. And she goes, <laughs> she says, uh, well, they're looking for a drummer, and uh. they 
they, they kind of, their guy gave notice, and I kind of heard they were looking for a drummer. I said, okay, wow. I'll come check them out. Wow. So she was cool about it, and she didn't go running to him and say, my little boy plays drums, and you know, he'd love to have a job with you. Guys. No, she was real cool about it. <laughs> she didn't even let on that she was my mom. So she told me the room number one of the guys was in in the in the band and I called and we set up an appointment for uh, to come over and audition. So I show up and the, while we're talking amongst ourselves, just like, hey, what kind of music you like? What, what have you been doing? Are you, are you playing in a band now? That Musicians always kind of get together that, that way, especially if they're out looking for a gig. Mm -hmm. And while we're talking, the phone rings. And Randy Owen, the lead singer, answers the phone. We're all in the room now. All four of us are in the room. We're just, we're shooting the breeze, feeling each other out. We're about to go down and jam a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So the phone rings, and the, the conversation that I hear goes like this. Hello? Yes, this is he. Yes. Oh. What? Oh. We can, we could probably have it out of there by five. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, well, we'll be down. Uh, give us a few minutes. We'll we'll be down and start getting it out of there. Hmm. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Well, I kind of gathered what was going on, and it wasn't good. <laughs> they had gotten fired from the gig. Wow. So here I am for an audition, and the band gets fired. Hmm. What happened was that they were playing in a lounge. Now, let me put you in the in the time slot here. This is 1978. Okay. The height of the disco era. Mm -hmm. The silk shirts and the leisure suits and the staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> uh, they played country and southern rock. Um, they brought in a lot of beer drinkers and, and that, that type of crowd, but they didn't bring in the silk shirts. Mm. The silk shirts spend more money for mixed drinks uh. and liquor than they do for beer. Wow. The bar manager loved the band, but she said, you guys are not making the money that I need to show, and I, I've got to get somebody in here that pulls in the disco crowd. Mm. This is in the days before DJs, see? You couldn't, it wasn't a quick fix with just getting a DJ in there and, okay. and no, you had to have a band. Okay. So Randy hung up the phone and said, man, I'm so sorry. Um, this is one of these things. Um, explained it, what was happening. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I understand. Um, here's, here's my number. Call, uh, you know, say if something ever breaks, maybe we can get together again someday. Hmm. So flash forward about six months, and I'm in Augusta, Georgia, rehearsing with another band in a in a trailer, in a, in a house trailer, in a trailer park. Uh -huh. The band had a couple of good players in it. We were trying to be a rock and roll club band, and we uh, the, the problem there was that the lead singer's wife also had to be in the band, and she couldn't carry a tune in a wet paper sack. <laughs> so. We had a falling out about that, and I decided that 
I wasn't going to be hanging around Augusta much longer, and I took my drums and packed them in my my old uh, 1969 Pinto with no floor on the driver's side and was just about to pull out the driveway when the, the screen door opened and the guy that, whose band it was hollered out at me and said, hey, there's some guy on the phone in here for you. Uh, his name is Randy. And he's calling for Myrtle B. You know anybody like that? I said, yeah, hold on a second. So I went in there and I, I took the phone. And I said, this is Mark. He said, hey, Mark, this is Randy. You remember talking to us about drumming for us uh, back, you know, last winter in, in Florence, South Carolina? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. He said, uh, would you mind coming to Myrtle Beach tomorrow morning at about 10 o'clock? Wow. Uh, we're, we're playing down there. Yeah, we're playing down there at a little... At a little, we're house band down there at a little joint called uh, the Bowery, hmm. and it's, it's right on the beach. But I said, "Shoot, yeah, man, I'll, I'll be down there." So my drums were already packed in the car with no floor in it, and I drove from. Um, oh yeah, it smoked like a cigar, and then I could walk, I could count the the lines going by underneath my feet, and hmm. it rattled and shook. I think a window was missing, but hey, it got me around. You know, musicians can relate to that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I got to Myrtle Beach to make a, a long story endless as usual. I'll abridge it and say that uh, the rest is history. I showed up on time. We jammed a little bit. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, um, you know, this, this if, if you guys want me. So mm. um, I was ready to go. I wasn't married. I wasn't tied down. I, I wasn't in trouble. I didn't owe any money. And uh, I didn't have a... A pot to pee in, but uh, that didn't matter. I, I was ready to go, and so were they. So we Fantastic. played in the Bowery. Yep, and then you know, then then there's a whole other evolution after that. But I won't go into that. Wow! So. Fantastic, fantastic. That is that is wow. <laughs> I remember when they got fired from that that club gig in Florence, South Carolina. Yeah. Walking down the stairs, going back to my car after, you know, I said, well, yeah, see you around, man, you know, that that sort of thing. And they shut the door. I walked down the stairs to the parking lot going, man, I'm glad I didn't get that gig. I can't even keep work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Well, you obviously had so, so many experiences over all your years with Alabama. A lot of times on this show, the audience will hear me use the expression teaching moment. And I understand you had one of those from the late, great Charlie Daniels at one point. What was that that you learned from him, and under what circumstances was this? I could do a whole other blog on Charlie. Wow. I I have never never since admired anybody as much in this business as Charlie. Hmm. Um, I got to know him pretty well. I got to know all these people pretty well uh we spent three years touring together as co-headliners back you know in the later part of um well i wouldn't i wouldn't call it the later years it was the late 80s uh mm-hmm. probably 88 to about 90 um 87 to 90 actually we we toured uh, extensively with charlie exclusively and extensively as a co-headline thing and we we filled up stadiums coast to coast and that was a great tour and we mm. got to know each other very well charlie was um he was a man's man he was anointed um he was gifted 
he was as good as they get. And his people all said, sir, yes, sir, to him when he gave them an order because they wanted to, not because they had to. He was that kind of guy. Mm. Um, he, he inspired people. He was a musician's musician. He helped uh, other musicians. Um, he ran a tight ship. You know, he wasn't no pushover. He didn't mm-hmm. take any guff off anybody. But um, the man had a heart bigger than Texas. And mm-hmm. I, I could get teared up right now talking about him because he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it really it really hurt me when he, when he passed away. It was too soon. Uh, he told me one time, he said, I... He said, "Mark, I'm gonna. I hope. I hope I'm like Ernest Tubb, where I just, I just die on the bus out here. I, I love this stuff. I'm gonna be out here till I go." And he was. Hmm. He had over a hundred shows booked. Um, he was looking forward to playing wow. uh, when he when he passed. Wow. But yeah, I remember a couple of quick stories about Charlie. Uh, one of them's really funny. It's, I put it in my book. Uh, I'll give you a teaser on that one. It has to do with me uh, being a little wayward before Charlie Daniels' concert, before I ever got into business as a professional and going to see him and how I snuck into the concert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how that came back to uh, to bite me in a funny way uh, about 15 years later uh, mm. with Charlie himself. And... I'll leave that out there in hopes that yeah. somebody might uh, order a copy of the book to, to fill that in. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The second story was uh, not a big one, but uh, we were in Lakeland, Florida, and it was before that the, that tour that we did as co-headliners. And Alabama actually opened up for Charlie Daniels. This is in the in the formative years. And we were just starting to get some national success and doing some OA work for large name bands. And yours truly was getting a little cocky. And I remember I walked out the back door of the Lakeland Civic Center there. And I was in a hurry to get to the bus to have a cold beer or something, or, you know, I had something on my mind and some fans were standing around back by the back door. And so was Charlie's bus. And Charlie was sitting in there in the front lounge looking out. And I came walking out the door, and there was some people out there, you know, six or eight of them, not very many, but they were back there with their cameras, and they had something they wanted to sign. Mm -hmm. And me, being too cool for the room, kind of brushed them off. I, you know, I, I was tired or whatever. And I, you know, I, I, not now, you know, I, I gotta go. And mm-hmm. I, I was, I made a beeline for our bus. And the next day, Charlie, he, he come up to me and said, you got a second? And I said, yeah. He said, son, let me tell you something. It don't cost you nothing to be nice to people and the dividends pay for the rest of your life. Mm. And, you know, Charlie's a big guy, you know, and I'm a little pit squeak, and I, I, I threw you a third. <laughs> it was like, I felt uh, like I'd gotten a dressing down, and I deserved it. And he, but he, he did it instructively and and not in a uh, an arrogant way no. at all. Because wow. he said, I saw you walk by them. He said, I just want to tell you this, because it'll help you. I saw you walk by them people. He said, don't ever do that, no matter how tired you are always pay them some respect because they pay your bills. Mm. 
And I thought, you know, that, that kind of kind of hit me like that makes a lot of sense right there. Yeah. And from that day forward, I never did. Uh, I did my best never to snub anybody. Yeah, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Wow. Well, I would certainly love for you to give us some highlights from your long career with Alabama awards, hit songs, notable appearances. But I'm curious to hear about a plane that nearly crashed because this is going to tie into something else that I'm going to want us to talk about as we continue along here. Sure. Um, we had a, um, there, there were actually quite a few close calls. Uh, the one that I think that you might be inquiring on was one where we almost ran out of gas on our way to um, a show in Texas. We had filled in for the opening act for Willie Nelson in the early days at the York State Fair in York, Pennsylvania. And we did, uh, we had a great show and we left and we ran to the airport because we had, it was a double header. We had to go back and play in Texas that same night. This is in the book as well. And the reason for that is all explained, but I won't go into that. In those days, the weather service wasn't as detailed as it is now. The pace was frantic to understate it. People were not, they didn't have information and technology at their fingertips the way they do now. Sure. As far as aviation professionals didn't have a way to, to, to digitally look at what's going on with the weather. Mm. And we took off and we took off into a horrendous headwind and apparently the pilots were not aware of it. Like I said, technology was not uh, as it is today where everything is instantaneous. And we found ourselves out over the boonies at altitude with not enough gas to get to the destination. Hmm. And we had a deadline to meet. The, they did have flight phones in those days where the pilots could call uh, a, a fixed base operator and they could relay a call to the promoter. And the, that was going on while we were winging our way towards Texas. Mm -hmm. And the promoter was saying, you got to get here. You got to get here. These people are getting restless. You know, they want their money back. They're starting to throw stuff. And so there was that pressure. And we were playing at Tyler, Texas at the college there. And we didn't have time to stop for fuel. I don't think there was anywhere to stop for fuel. Let me tell you, it was almost Leonard Skinner part two. Mm. Uh, we, we got there and the weather was foggy at the airport and we had to go around. Mm. We came in for a landing and got down to as low as they could go and i heard the engines throttle up and around and the gear came up and around the patch we went and they tried it one more time thankfully we got in the second time but when we were taxiing they stopped they pulled off the end of the runway had taxi back to the terminal on our taxi back the engine shut down it ran out of gas wow was this a commercial flight or private it's private. It was a charter jet. Mm. Man, oh, man. And it's amazing that when you started that story, you said, well, there were a few times, but I think the one you're referring to. So the fact that you encountered some harrowing flight stories more than once is in and of itself eyebrow-raising. But 
That's amazing. And folks, you're going to hear us talking about Mark and his book. And as you're hearing, some of these stories that he's teasing are in that. I do want to reset here in that I am joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Payne, Alabama, by drummer and producer Mark Herndon. Visit his official website at markherndon.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you land on his website, you will see a link for Mark on Facebook, although do also find him on Twitter and Instagram as well. He is at the Mark Herndon on both of those. His book, which we will be talking about, is called The High Road, Memories from a Long Trip, and you will see the opportunity to purchase that on markherndon.com as well. I'm always talking about the work that I do with music clients, but if you or someone you know needs, wants help with podcasting, I have been doing quite a bit of that for some time now. I had actually even posted an article about this on the website. Beginner, intermediate, advanced, whatever level you're at, take advantage of my having been podcasting every week for more than eight years now. I do private one-on-one online video consultations with people from all over, helping them with their podcast journey. Email me through podcast at nhte.net and let's book time to get online together and talk about the show that you're doing or would like to do. Mark, before we move on to other topics, a lot of fans always wonder why a musician leaves a well-known band. So in your case, why and how did you leave Alabama? Oh, that is a many-faceted subject right there. Um, (laughs) I'd have to answer that by saying... I left Alabama not by my choice. At the time, we were all very burnt out, so a hiatus might have been a better answer than what transpired. As in most cases, in most bands, there was a dispute about the almighty dollar. Mm. And... I I kind of, uh, I I have to be careful what I say because it went to litigation. Ah, okay. And the the settlement details are uh, confidential. Sure. But it did finally settle, and it didn't end in a good way. And that, unfortunately, hurt the legacy of Alabama, in my opinion, and in, in many, many, many thousands of of those people have shared their sentiment with me and uh it's i feel bad for them it's too bad that the legacy was was damaged the way it was in my opinion there could have been a lot more constructive way to solve a relatively insignificant issue Mm. but in the case of uh this band the some of the um, the remora fish that hang on to principal members for the sole purpose of uh, stirring up trouble in, in the case of these people <laughs> um, that's uh, that's kind of what happened it's it's usually always the middlemen and uh, I think given the chance the band probably could have worked it out but uh, we so much uh, so much dust was stirred up by some some other people that it uh, it wound up going to court, and mm. 
didn't end, didn't, like I said earlier, it just didn't end well um, for me, especially. Yeah. They have continued on, uh, from what I understand. I, I don't keep up with them anymore, but they, they've continued on uh, with, with other musicians. But, okay. Okay. And then, of course, and then one of the members is very sick now, so he's unable to tour. Mm. Well, this does in some way segue a little bit into what I wanted to get into next as as we shift gears here. Earlier on, I had asked you to share stories about when you were with Alabama, and I specifically asked for you to talk about the plane that we heard you talk about that practically was running out of gas. And working to set up our interview today, the rep that I was dealing with on your behalf had told me that scheduling-wise, you would only be available to do this interview every other week because on the other weeks, you fly. <laughs> so share with the audience about your career as a private pilot. I, I do. Uh, let me just say this, that you would be amazed at the amount of people, especially drummers, uh, that are interested in aviation that are also professional musicians mm. and vice versa. Um, I've been in professional aviation now for a number of years and, and a lot of those guys are frustrated musicians. Wow. <laughs> so I'm so blessed in the, in the respect that I got to do two things that I love to do. And how many people are that lucky? I, I don't know why, but I'm a very, very blessed and, lucky person uh flying for me started when i was about 10 um i fell in love with it because my dad was a marine corps aviator a naval aviator he was a marine uh he was fighter pilot and we traveled all over the place and i grew up on military bases and dad flew all the all the cool stuff and uh, you know, the, the, the children of career military people can attest to that you are immersed in what dad does, like it or not. It's larger than life when you grow up in that. And I wanted to grow up and be like that. And mm. I wanted to grow up and, and fly jets for the Navy. And that was my first aspiration. Uh, from the time I was 10 years old, I used to just drool at these planes overhead all the time. It was like, uh, I was like a kid growing up next to a racetrack. You know, you want to grow up and be a race car driver. Well, it's the same thing when you got jets overhead all the time. I mean, that's all you can think about. So from the time I got from then until the time I got the music bug, um, I want to be a pilot. Uh, my eyesight was not good enough to get into the military. I found out uh, in high school that fly was military. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, and the music thing was getting big in my mind. and I, I kind of let it slip through the cracks for a little while. I, I, at 16, I think I took, I took some flying lessons and I got a student pilot certificate. Hmm. And I had just enough fun to, to to scare myself a couple of times, and then then the yeah then the music bug came along, and uh, that I started focusing on that, and I put it down for a few years. Mm-hmm. Well, Alabama start you know that's I'm I've been in Alabama now for four or five years, and we're getting some tremendous success shed on us, and the touring is becoming way too arduous to continue via bus Mm. and via airlines and 
you know, that it, it's just it's it's exhausting when you're you don't sleep well on a bus or you have to meet an airline schedule and all this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the band bought an airplane. Wow! It came with a pilot, and yours truly had a private pilot's license by this time. So naturally, I get to sit up front. <laughs> I had not been immersed into professional aviation very much at that point. I was a recreational flyer. Yeah, I had a pilot's license, but I was just a you know Sunday driver. Go gotcha. rent a plane, ride around, run down the beach or something, take a friend. Gotcha. Uh, now I started seeing what it was really like, and I really enjoyed it. We had several pilots. One of them left to go to the airlines. Uh, one of them left for another company, and then we had one uh, who I became very good friends with, and he helped me up through the ratings. Uh, you know, I said, I, "Hey, I, this is an advantage that uh, I'm. Uh, this is something I'm going to take advantage of." And here I'm, I'm flying a, a, a prop jet airplane, and I can work on my ratings in an advanced high-performance airplane, this is going to set me up for the day when we're not playing music. Mm. So, And I, I enjoy doing this. So it was sort of a hobby outside of the, the touring and the performing and the recording. And it became... I, I started taking it very, very seriously. And I, I went up through all the ratings on this airplane with the band. I mm. uh, wanted to... For those listening that are pilots or know something about aviation, uh, the the band's time owning the airplane uh, got me through the the ATP uh, rating, and so I I felt like okay if this thing all comes if this thing all blows up for some reason I've got a I've got something I can fall back on yeah and it's a good thing because. <laughs> When it ended, <laughs> as I mentioned before, not really on great terms for years. Truly, it ended quick. I see. And I needed to. Uh, I needed to have something to do. And there was a civilian job right there in Fort Payne. I call it civilian. It's outside the music business. Uh, yeah, that's. It's a little more civilized than what we did, but uh, uh, <laughs> it was right there. And. Uh, uh, I went to work flying for a, a local company mm. and started started getting my feet wet as solely a professional aviator. And now I've, I've yep. And through that evolution, uh, these days I'm I'm flying for a uh, an airline now, a, a private charter airline, wow. one of the biggest in the world. Wow, so and it's cool. a great game. So cool. Well, at the end of today's show, we're going to play a song of hers that you play on, but you are married to country gospel singer Leah Seawright. When and how did the two of you meet? When did you get married? And and what's it like to be a husband to her, but also a music collaborator with her? Um, Let's see. I'm... uh... I'm, I'm all of the above, but I, I just work here. <laughs> uh, as most husbands can attest to that. Uh, uh, Mama's the boss. But, uh, no, she's my dream girl. And uh, we met. We were both in um, other relationships. That we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll just call them loveless. And... Uh, we became friends for years. We worked on a couple of projects. We 
we we played in a band together. We did uh, promotional work together, mm. and the friendship, the you know, as it often does, the friendship developed to the next level, and we were free of our other obligations and started a relationship which led to a marriage and we've been blissfully happy ever since uh, i just i i could go on about her all day but uh the people's eyes would be rolling and be saying get a room <laughs> get a room and i say hey we did <laughs> but, uh, it's uh it's all good man she she if i wasn't her husband i'd be her fan too because she's got the She's got what it takes. She's got the full package. She's smart business-wise, uh, anointed singer, and heart of gold. She'll take care of everybody else in the band before she eats, mm. before she gets any money. Uh, she always makes sure everybody else is taken care of. She's kind of like Charlie Daniels reincarnated. Mm. Uh, yeah, she's, um, she's awesome. And, of course, I'm prejudiced. But <laughs> I, I, she, you know, we all, we know a lot of the same people, and they, they would tell you the same thing. She's a very, very special human being. And uh, a, we don't have a, we're not affiliated with a label right now. We've been there, done that. But uh, I, I say it to any any label out there or any agency or what she is a turnkey acquisition uh, she's not a diva there's no drugs there's mm. no drama mm. uh she just she she rocks and um i don't know if, if you haven't i'll send you an epk if you'd like to to uh, to, to listen to her yeah yeah absolutely but i think that's also going to speak to the next question I was going to ask you, which is, uh, I, w I would love to hear you talk about, away from being a pilot, what you are doing these days music-wise in terms of playing some post-COVID gigs, new music, and so on. And I think you're going to tell me that it's all driven around Leah. Oh, it is. Um, I've played for a few bands since Alabama. No, nothing notable. Um, Weekend Warrior type stuff. But Leah's... Leah's performances are special because, you know, not I, I love her with all my soul as as my wife and my friend, but I also admire her for her talent and her ability to perform under all sorts of pressure situations and deliver the goods. Uh, I'm very proud to be in her band if I was just nothing more than just the drummer. Mm -hmm. She sells herself. I don't have to really even give you this speech. Uh, there's something about, especially when she does uh, some of her versions of some gospel songs. There's there's something that takes place um, that it's from her anointing. It's a spell, a good spell that's cast. It's an energy field. It goes right to the heart, and it's the highlight of our show. And we cover stuff. We cover everything from. Uh, a, you know, traditional country numbers to some out and out, you know, rock and roll. Uh, Charlie Daniels would be crap, would be proud of mm. our version of Long Haired Country Boy mm. because we infuse we infuse Led Zeppelin into the arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's uh, he would be proud of that if he if um, I know he can he is proud of it because I I know Charlie he's mm. probably listening but. Uh, um, 
we cover all we we, we make uh, cover tunes our own when we do them but her original stuff we do about four in the set and it takes on a whole new vibe everything does the band feels it the crowd feels it mm. we we played uh, just the other night we were at, at um, milton florida the, the mardi gras down there and we got a pretty high energy rocking show and the song that really got people got they they got their cell phones out on this one was a gospel song she does a real bluesy i mean it's it's like it's just it's black blues the way she does it and i mean that whole crowd went to church right there and they got the cell phones out and they <laughs> they were screaming and hollering and uh it was uh it was awesome and that's that always makes me feel good and makes me uh makes me very proud of her for for doing that because she's got an original tune on one of her cds called that feeling and when i first came to play in her band before i knew her very well i asked her one night i said you think we're doing that song and we were playing a, a rowdy club somewhere hmm. and i asked her i said you you you, uh, you think that would be cool to, it's it's a gospel song i mean you don't know it at first mm -hmm. it's a song about a guy that gets saved through a, a long story living hard living wrong and uh you know he he comes about he comes to that through an unusual circumstance and the song is about that and it's sort of like a a, a rock power ballad and but the subject matter in a bar i was a little apprehensive of and yeah. I, I told her you think we, you think we need to be doing that here and she said listen every place we play there's somebody even if it's one person that probably needs to hear that. That's right. That's right. And she said, I'm always going to do something like that. So I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. And folks, we're going to hear one of Leah's songs in just a couple minutes here. But before we get to that, I do want to make sure that we talk about your bookmark. It's called The High Road, Memories from a Long Trip. It's published by Fresh Ink Group. What inspired you to write the book? How long did it take you? And, and what should the audience know about what they'll read in there other than what you've alluded to so far during our conversation? Well, like all these stories, they're a lot longer than what I'll, I'll go into today. Sure. Uh, a lot more of it is in the book itself, but... Uh, I'm a big reader. That was another pastime of mine on the uh, on the road. If I you know playing Joe Tourist, I was I had my nose in a book, and um, writing came naturally. I guess I don't know. Uh, it just it, when I started, it flowed out of me like a like a dam had burst. Hmm. Um, there was an individual that said, "Hey, just uh, just write one story. Just start with one." story that you remember i don't care where it is just mm -hmm. start mm -hmm. sure enough um it, it i started and before long i had a complete manuscript wow and it just I, I got addicted to it i would look forward to my nightly sessions at the keyboard uh because it started it stuff that had, i had put away for years and stuff that i had not thought about for years came back in such clarity i couldn't get it out i can't type fast enough to get it out it was, i had to keep a little scratch pad next to the laptop to write keywords down wow. so i would remember the part of the story that was coming out of me that fast wow 
so I could go back and edit my own, you know, typing. Yeah. Mm. Or else I would have forgot to put that sentence in there or that paragraph in there. Just so mm. my brain was on fire. Amazing. It was the end. The end result was cathartic because, as I told you, the band it ended on a unfortunately very very sour note mm-hmm. and it, it hurt my heart for many many years and I, I carried around a lot of grudge and I carried around a lot of heartache for a lot of reasons and when I finished that manuscript and we wrapped it up and it was ready for print and it was ready to be shipped I can remember just having the, this spiritual moment I walked out in the in the backyard and just threw my hands it was nighttime it was you know midnight on the one of those clear nights you can see all the stars and mm-hmm. I felt like I gave up the ghost I walked mm. out in the backyard and it was just like hallelujah wow. it's all gone wow and, and, and from that day forward my health got better mm. my attitude got better it was all it was all good it, oh my it, gosh well it was like a, a a mortal version of what jesus said on the cross when he said it is finished mm. fantastic fantastic that was wow. my personal moment you know wow. my personal it is finished moment fantastic and, and it's been good ever since and folks again i'll give you in just a minute here how you can order mark's book but we are going to close today with a song by your wife leah seawright a track called mama prayed before i let you go mark and i play that song share with the audience all about this song if you would please sure real quick um she's uh, uh her brother uh, went through a hard time in his life. Uh, brought the brought the family a lot of concern. He went through a drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, struggled with it for years. Um, uh, he had a he had a hard life, a hard life, and everybody gave up on him except their mother. And the mother did not have any real means to help him physically like most of us really can't help somebody that is struggling with addiction. They have to, you have to pray for an intervention and they have to want to do it themselves. Uh, I know from becoming sober myself, Mm. what you have to go through with that. And her brother struggled with the same thing and probably struggled harder than I did. And, and the mother never quit praying and and walking in faith that he would get better and uh, you know she was the intercessor uh or or she she commissioned the intercession let's just say that and he's he's well and has been for 25 years and is alive today and a successful guy and but it it was a it was a long road to hope and mm-hmm. but it you know the good lord came through in that case and the song is all about giving praise where it needs to be given and uh, uh showing how how much a mother's love counts 
for for a lot more than what we take for granted. Beautiful about our mothers. Beautiful. So it's a, it's a great song, and it, it really is good lyrics. Awesome, awesome. Well, Mark, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed having you as a guest on Now Hear This Entertainment. Hey, it's, um, send me a link to your sponsor uh, because I was listening to your commercial, and that sounds like uh, a machine that we could probably use uh, in our music endeavors for Great. recording. That sounds like a, a neat little gizmo. There. Great. I sure will. But thank you, though. I'm, I'm glad that you, that you had time to come on the show <laughs> amidst all your hectic flying schedule. Oh, it's not that hectic. <laughs> But, uh, you know, someday I'll get a real job. (laughs) And, folks, with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to drummer and producer Mark Herndon. Do visit his official website at markherndon.com. Again, I will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you land on his website, look for the link to go engage with Mark through his official Facebook page. Remember that you can find him on Twitter and Instagram as well. He is at the Mark Herndon on both of those. Be sure to let Mark know that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. His book that you heard him talking about is called The High Road, Memories from a Long Trip. You will see a link on markherndon.com to order that. As I mentioned earlier, in addition to this show and all the speaking that I do, I do offer one-on-one help to podcasters, regardless of your location or your experience level. Beginner, intermediate, advanced, take advantage of my more than eight years doing this show every week by booking a private one-on-one online video consultation with me to get help with the show that you're doing or that you want to do. Simply write to me at podcast at nhte.net. And let's roll up our sleeves together to provide whatever help you need, just like the other folks that I've been helping with their podcasting journey. And that will do it for episode 421. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with the song from Leah Seawright. This is the one that Mark just talked about. It's called Mama Prayed. It's hard to remember what pulled the trigger. I could blame that first beer Cause it led me to hard liquor I made some bad choices Helping on raising cane Oh, but I thank God Mama prayed Mama prayed I swear I She couldn't hold the pain inside But Mama's faith never wavered Though the storm raged I'm alive today Cause Mama prayed I've traveled some dark roads Always running blind And like a hurricane I couldn't see the wreckage I left behind I've been locked up And I've been locked out And I never took the blame Yeah, and it cost me everything But Mama prayed Mama prayed I swear I 
Mama cried. 